0: Welcome to The Self Made Theory, the podcast that's all about innovating, overcoming, and prospering. We interview founders, entrepreneurs, innovators, CEOs, and other exciting people about their amazing business journey. Over to your host, Ben Campbell, for this week's episode.
1: Pretty interesting guest this week, Kelly Carpenter, who is the co founder of two companies Looking Glass and Culture Team. I found both of her businesses to be pretty fascinating and both completely different. Looking Glass is some very smart tech combining both machine learning, computer vision, and a physical smart mirror to detect the symptoms and progression of degenerative health conditions like Parkinson's. Getting onto early detection of Parkinson's disease or the complication from medication after surgery can greatly improve prognosis. I'm sure many of you listening in the corporate world would have in the past attended some corporate training sessions or workshops and have probably been pretty bored out of your brain. Well, Kelly's other business, Culture Team, takes a human-centered design approach and uses gameplay to provide engaging, fun, and meaningful learning by custom tailored team building experiences. It's pretty cool stuff. My name is Ben Campbell and this is The Self-Made Theory. Kelly, welcome to The Self-Made Theory.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Kelly, I'm really interested to hear about your new venture, Looking Glass. Perhaps you can start by giving us your elevator pitch.
0: Yeah, sure. So at Looking Glass, we are creating a smart mirror that can detect symptoms of Parkinson's and dementia in the home. can do a whole lot of other things and monitor health on an ongoing basis, Um, but we're we're really targeting um, these degenerative conditions that don't really get a lot of... um, help from current technologies.
1: So what's a smart mirror? It's
0: a pretty new concept really. So there are a few people playing with the idea at the moment, but it's obviously not something that you can just go to the shops and buy (laughs) yet. We envision that this is something that people will have in their houses, um, in every home um, eventually. So it's essentially a computer with a digital display. Um, and then like a semi-transparent mirror in front of it. So you use it like a regular mirror. And Mm -hmm. then when you want to interact on a deeper level with the technology behind it, then it can illuminate and show through that mirror.
1: Okay. So how does it work in terms of assessing somebody uh, for their risk or their or a degenerative disease like you talked about?
0: Yeah, great question. So things like uh, Parkinson's and dementia, it's difficult to go and get a blood test or a brain scan that's going to show you what you need to know generally these are conditions where people will notice behavior or physical changes um, and doctors will just do tests that will show them um, those things so something like Parkinson's you can see the tremors if you try to trigger them in a specific way so something like brushing your hair um, that upwards motion of your arm is something that a doctor will ask you to do um, in a clinic to to try to activate a tremor. Um, Now, this is something that obviously brushing out here in front of the mirror, you could be testing for that just by looking at it. So we use visual tracking software to make those physical assessments. And then we monitor things on an ongoing basis to try to make the cognitive assessments and the behavioural changes in people.
1: So I imagine this is pretty exciting in terms of early intervention, but how does that impact the patient care or the treatment once it's diagnosed
0: yeah absolutely so uh, a lot of cases of these conditions are undiagnosed for a long time so 50% of dementia cases are undiagnosed and
1: for what period of time is there a, is there an, an understanding about how long somebody is struggling with dementia before
0: yeah that's a really good question I'm sure it's um, relevant to each person's mm. situation Um the lifespan of someone that has been detected early is significantly longer than someone that hasn't or someone that's not detected at all. Mm -hmm. So dementia is the second leading cause of death in Australia and I think not a lot of people know that. You're more um, conscious of heart disease and and looking out for that but uh, being able to monitor um, someone's mental state and their behavioural changes um, is a way that we can prevent a lot of deaths. So things like People forgetting that they've taken their pills already today and taking yeah. them again. Um, in terms of Parkinson's, you can freeze up. So, freezing in the middle of traffic, for example, can be quite dangerous. So, being able to detect the progression um, and make sure that people are getting the treatments that fit with the particular stage they're at are ways that we can prevent accidents um, from happening that mm. are related to those um, conditions. And the Core reason for doing what we're doing is so that we can free people to live independently in their own homes for longer. So when it does get to that stage where they are no longer fit to stay at home, then the mirror will be able to to make that help them make that assessment. Yeah. And, okay. Yeah.
1: I know my own grandmother had hidden signs of her dementia for a number of years. And then when they were finally recognised by my grandfather, he hid them from the rest of the family for a number of years after that. So by the time she actually got treatment, it was uh, many years later down the track. So why would somebody put one of these mirrors in their home? Because I imagine that's, you know, some will say, well, I'm not suffering from anything now. Why would I invest the money and do it now?
0: Definitely. So uh, someone like my dad or um, other friends that we've been talking to who don't see themselves as the the target user. They're people that we're talking to for advice and that are generally interested in their early 60s. They say, oh yeah, well, I've had a friend that's just had this happen and it was so unexpected. So um, just having a sense of reassurance is what we want um, to give people. So anyone planning for retirement and wanting to live a a long and healthy life, there are uh, plenty of other applications for the mirror. Um, So something like telehealth, um, people living rurally, so yep. um, being able to have this kind of assessment and not having to to travel, especially if you um, aren't able to get around very easily, um, it's just a, a simple assistive device like installing handrails into your bathroom mm-hmm. is just going to help make life easier.
1: Yeah, right. Wow. So what does it look like? It's not some horrible, ugly mirror that looks like it came straight out of a hospital, is it?
0: Well, it could be. We are using um, users to determine uh, everything that we do. So we're still in the design and development stage of the physical mirror. So the software is um, already working and being tested. The physical properties of the mirror will be determined by what users actually want and what they're going to use. So we are interviewing people and going into their homes and Basically, getting their point of view yep. of what kind of mirror um, would suit.
1: Yeah. Okay. So the mirror makes a lot of sense. What about using video technology as the as the visual part, inter- interacting with your software, so video conferencing or you know, video cameras? Is that a possibility?
0: Yeah. So the mirror has a video camera built into it. That's right. how it makes uh-huh. tracks visually what's happening. We have a web platform already that healthcare professionals are using. So that's basically a way for people to input video that they just take, say, on their mobile phone, for example, and get that assessment um, in, a, in a more instant fashion. Now, the reason we're building Mirror is so that we can have that ongoing interaction that people are going to be using this thing every day and, and tracking what they're doing mm. rather than just... In uploading a, a video when they go see their doctor or when it's been requested.
1: And I imagine it becomes a technology in the background that people probably won't think much about once it's installed and been there for a week or two, and yeah. not even less.
0: We find that a lot of the problems with current technology is the usability factor. So people either forget to put on their yep. a- alarm pendant, for example, or they don't know how to operate the menu screen or to... You know, with Parkinson's or arthritis, it's difficult to operate the computer or, or touch screen. So we want something that can just exist, yep. <laughs> that already integrates into uh, someone's everyday lifestyle. And, yeah, they can they can take it up to another level if they want, but mm. ideally they don't really have to do very much.
1: Yeah, wow. Yeah. Pretty amazing. So how do you cover off security? Because I imagine camera in my home I'm worried that you're going to be watching me all the time.
0: <laughs> yes, I, I think that's a, a concern that some people have. In, interestingly, the users that we've been talking to, the target demographic, they're much more concerned with their safety than they are with their privacy. Um, of course, that doesn't negate the need for privacy. No, of so, course. we have a few uh, things that we're incorporating into this. So, the first one is we're not capturing video unless someone wants to so we're only capturing kind of data points um
1: so what do you mean by data points
0: so we collect visually um a tracking points so for example there's the point where someone's shoulder is there's the point where their foot is and we construct a skeleton from that information and now we can just save that skeleton save the information that goes along with it and forget about the video altogether um because there's a, there's it is a pretty cool
1: video on your website which shows that so we might We'll put a link to that in the show notes so people can understand what that looks like.
0: Yeah, very cool. So because we can assess in real time and, and track those points in real time, we don't actually need to be saving that video. Okay. Of it. Saving the, the skeleton only as an option is one point for privacy. Another one is people being able to choose when uh, the device is in operation. So having a on switch and an off switch and identification that it is on and what it's doing um, is really important Mm. for me personally, I think. Um, And then finally, the way that we are storing the information will be highly encrypted um, in some new ways of doing things. (laughs) Yeah. Cool. Yeah.
1: Oh, that sounds exciting. Mm. So where did the idea come from?
0: So Simon Cullen is the chief technology officer. He's come up with the idea after his grandma was really nervous about her health she Mm. wasn't sure if she was being a little bit forgetful or starting to lose her mind and it's really difficult to make that judgment when we're just looking at ourselves instead of seeing it from the third person
1: plus we don't want it to be real either so
0: exactly so she was quite concerned um, it turned out she went to the doctor for a pretty quick visit. It was, uh, I think, a 15-question test mm-hmm. and all of her stress was alleviated and he saw the the change in her behaviour from before that test to after that test and the assurance that it gave her. So he wanted to recreate that um, in a more permanent way.
1: Yeah, right. Wow. Mm. And so why Looking Glass? The Where, do, name? where did the name come from?
0: Oh, I do know the reason for this. <laughs> it's very varied. So um, Simon came up with the name, and he uh, has lots of layered meanings in every name <laughs> that he comes up with. <laughs> uh, so looking glass is obviously or fairy tales when you're looking into the the magic looking glass and uh, seeing the truth or seeing the future or seeing. What's Alice happening in also. Wonderland type stuff. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So that kind of thing. Um, also, I know the, um, he's a graphic design um, specialist, so he uh, likes to make sure all of the letters in a word work well together. So, uh, yeah, there's varying yeah. <laughs> reasons. But, yeah, we basically didn't want it to be too technical or alienating to our target audience and something that people can kind of understand the meaning of as soon as they hear it.
1: Yeah, very good. So this is not your background. You're not a tech oh, yeah. STEM person <laughs> from background. So you've got a bit of a varied background. Back film industry, I think you mentioned, this was one of your first, uh, first gigs?
0: Yeah. So I originally started out working in the film industry. I was an assistant director um, on film sets, which is basically managing all of the crew. Uh, so setting the schedules, making sure that morale is high, making sure that everything's getting done. Um, and being the the communicator between all of those uh, different fields uh, so that was really fantastic Um, it's also quite a small industry in South Australia so um, one thing that we get a lot of is horror movies (laughs) and (laughs) that kind of thing so I got into the film industry because films had really made a huge impact on my life Mm. when I was growing up and and had given me a lot of meaning as a, an adolescent. And I wanted to create that same meaning for other people. Working on horror films in the Outback didn't really give me that kind <laughs> of satisfaction. So I um, went into product design so that I could try to um, create something with with more impact for people on a, um, a meaningful level. Um, so accessibility products was something that I had always had an interest in uh, when I started my product design career.
1: Yeah, right. So talk to me about accessibility products. What do you mean by that?
0: Okay, so most products are made for the 95th percentile, which is, you know, the average everyday person, basically. And that serves a lot of people really, really well. There are a lot of people that get left out on the sidelines with that. Mm. So there are products that um, tailor to specific people, and fix a very specific problem and they're custom and they're very either high-end or hospital-grade. So people have to either be really rich or they have to deal with ugly things in their home. Something that I have always been really interested in is this idea of universal design, which is basically saying, look, we can tailor something to this really specific need from this specific person and also make it something that's going to be useful for the broader community at large. And then we don't have to design this one ugly thing for this one person to use, mm. we can make it something that everyone's going to want and it's gonna benefit everyone.
1: Yeah, right, wow, that must've been pretty fascinating. And do you see that that training or that education that you did in that sector play into Looking Glass?
0: I use every piece of experience that I have from all of my varied career paths into what I'm doing now. Yeah, so right. the uh, filmmaking side of things, the having to communicate to a team, having to tell a story and understand an audience, that's uh, really important, I think, anytime you're building a, a business or selling a product. Uh, the product design th- side of things, I always love to use a human-centred approach to design, and I think that's really important when not only when you're building a product like Looking Glass, but when yeah. you're building a business as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And my uh, other business culture team, we design uh, team-building games uh, for corporate culture and uh, capability development so what I'm able to take there is the uh, game design element and figuring out how to make a game that will teach people resilience for example and taking that into looking glass and say how do we design a game that someone can play in front of a mirror that will tell us if they have dementia
1: Mm. so culture team was started before looking glass wasn't it
0: yeah so culture team is about a year and a half old now still a baby Um,
1: You've landed some pretty big clients in that year and a half.
0: (laughs) Yes, you've been looking me up. Uh, So we have done work with uh, one of our clients at the moment is Westpac. So we've designed a program that we're teaching to their trainers so that they can deploy it to all of their staff essentially. So um, we started out in culture team going to businesses and trying to, ride that line between what's something that's really fun and engaging and what's something that's actually going to be educational and helpful, and position ourselves right in the middle of that and tackle both of the concepts at once. So we go into people's businesses and we uh, tailor games packages to suit the needs of those teams. Now, when we began, we were simply going in. And facilitating now, what we've started to do is tailor packages for much bigger companies, so that they can then take that uh, content and then deploy it and and train their own staff with it as well.
1: Plenty of corporations do corporate training. I've been part of that environment. I've done plenty where I've bored myself silly uh, attending some level of uh, training on a product or a problem or teamwork or whatever it is. What are you doing differently? to that, in that space.
0: Yeah, I hear the boredom in your voice when you think about team building games and I've seen the kind of eyes glaze over or even roll back when... Oh,
1: there's definitely plenty of, roll- of eyes rolling back when that happens. Oh, great. <laughs> oh, the HR department have come up with some other weird thing that we've got to do.
0: Yeah, exactly. So that's part of the reason that we came up with Culture Team and why we wanted to do it because we heard people having either pretty boring, terrible experiences that they're not going to use or they're not comfortable in actually applying or experiences where, yeah, it's kind of fun but I don't understand what the point of it was. So we really challenged ourselves to get between those two things and make sure that content is engaging, that people are going to want to do it and have fun with it. So what we do is we first of all start with what's the message here? and Sometimes that businesses just want, an icebreaker before a big meeting. Right. So usually we start with what's the message? Then we come up with how do we uh, tangibly and actively perform this message mm-hmm. as people? So how do we not just learn about it but do it in a, a period of time where we can learn through doing? And then how do we make that a fun experience? Yeah. So we we'll usually play about five to eight games over a couple of hours um, and – basically try to not give anyone a break we go pretty (laughs) a high-paced situation where everyone's just playing a game playing a game getting delivered a message and um, having some really interesting discussions at the end of it
1: so you're delivering that content and that training just here in adelaide or are you doing national programs
0: so we have started out in adelaide we're still based in adelaide and um have been open to doing some things in the eastern states we um, were speaking to a company in Sydney I think (laughs) Um, recently but yeah currently all of our clients are based in Adelaide.
1: Culture is a really interesting piece and I love it. I love talking about it. I've had uh, Noel from Team Gauge, who I believe you know well. There's yeah. a bit of a culture thing being driven here out of Adelaide at the moment, isn't there?
0: Yeah. Well, from this very incubator where we're sitting now, so mm. we're in the Innovation and Collaboration Centre at UniSA. And I actually worked for another startup. And shared an office with Team Gage when they were still okay. in their infantile stage. Yeah. So um, I did an internship with an edutech startup. So they were building uh, devices to help teach kids how to code, and I was the product designer trying to figure out what these devices um, should look like and feel like. Yeah. And we were in a room with Team Gauge and, and learning a lot from them while we were doing it, which was really great.
1: Mm. You're in a pretty lucky situation. Most people would love to be involved in an organisation that works with cultural or would love to be involved in an organisation that helps people with their quality of life. You get both of those things.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I'm really lucky. When I – was uh, planning to become a filmmaker, everyone was telling me, you're not going to make any money out of that. Mm. Why are you picking that as a career? And because I was able to earn a living from that, now anyone tells me I can't make a living from the things I want to do, I just say, well, I know you're lying because people have told me that before and I've done it before and it's been fine. So I think if you can find your passion for something and find Mm. other people that want what you have, then there's no reason that you can't earn a living out of that.
1: Does the, Do the naysayers drive you? Do you like proving people wrong?
0: I don't think so. No, that's not a driver for me. I don't really consider them. I, I definitely consider them and I hear what they're saying, but I just, um, I'm more driven by what's important here. So even if helping people with dementia is an incredibly difficult task, mm. the importance of achieving that task is yeah. far outweighs uh, any of the negatives that come with it. Mm.
1: So in your journey so far, what are the things that have gone wrong that you've gone, oh, my gosh, I didn't see that coming?
0: <laughs> have, we got, have, we got, have we
1: got that much time to talk? <laughs>
0: <laughs> there's definitely been, I would say there's definitely been more things go wrong that have gone right, and I think uh, I'm quite good at learning from those things and finding the benefits from them. So um, some people might say hopping over a couple of careers before landing as an entrepreneur is a failure in the first career or a failure in the second career, but actually taking what I've learned Mm. from that and having a better understanding of what I want to do and how I can apply my skills I think isn't failure, it's just the next step. Um, And I think as entrepreneurs you kind of need to have that approach to failure because... So much doesn't work out the way that you expect it will. Um, Yeah, And
1: I think having that diversity before you come to your next gig I think is really important because if everybody only comes to a particular industry or a particular problem with the same background, how are you going to get innovation? How are you going to get diversity? How are you going to get independence of thought that then drives new thinking, new ways, new ideas?
0: Yeah, and I think I saw that when I went back to university for the second time. As a mature age student, I saw all of the, uh, you know, the kids that had come straight out of school wanted to follow the instructions of this is how the course goes. And yeah. I tried my best to break my university. <laughs> I, I tried my best to say, oh, could we do it this way? Um, I wasn't concerned about grades at all because I know that that's not what matters. It's the, it's the education yeah. that matters, not the piece of paper. So I was trying my best to break every assignment that I was given and just trying to find a different way to do things. And it actually worked out really well for me.
1: Mm. Was it a big call to go back and study as a mature age student?
0: Yeah, it was a huge call. It was uh, my partner and I were saving for a house at the time. And then I said, actually, before uh, I make my home <laughs> life happy, I'm going to need to make my uh, every day happy at work. So, yeah. so that was a, a huge sacrifice to make. Mm. And um,
1: Did you do that full time or part time?
0: uh i was yeah became a full-time student so one of the reasons i decided to go back to uni was i'm really bad at saying no to things so having this full-time commitment where i could turn back to my film industry connections and say actually sorry i can't take this job right um was necessary for me otherwise i just would have kept on saying yes to things
1: (laughs) all in have to be all in
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) So what's the future look like? What's the future look like for Looking Glass? What does the future look like for Culture Team?
0: Okay, cool. So I'll start with Culture Team. What we've been noticing is that the types of developments that we're able to come up with are very different to what a lot of people are doing in um, team culture and team building in those types of training environments. So being able to actually develop content and, and have a priority on the design process of that content building is the next step for us. So uh, we're doing train the trainer stuff on a larger scale and also looking at um, outputting uh, digitally and, and making more accessible the the games and the content that we can provide for people. Yeah, okay. So Looking Glass uh, is still really, really new. We are in the process of developing and building our core product. Now, over the next year, we'll be uh, releasing that product, we'll be showing the world, and I think the next steps and the the big picture for what Looking Glass will become is really, really exciting.
1: So do you see Looking Glass being sold to end users, to retirement villages and homes and et cetera to healthcare institutions? Where, where's your target customer, do you think?
0: Yeah, so our, it's interesting because our end user is definitely our end customer, but they're not the people that we're selling to. So currently we have occupational therapists using yeah. our online platform. Yeah. They're also the people that recommend assistive devices to people to put in their homes. So they're a channel for us as well as a customer. Uh aged care providers and, and residential um, kind of retirement village uh, setups, they are developing these buildings and places for people to mm. go where they want people to maintain their independence yep. and they want the, the technology and, and the, the tools to go along to be able to provide that. So they're a really great customer and channel as
1: mm. well. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, the challenge, I think, for many of us as we get older... And I'm a little way away, and you're even further. Um, is that we want to maintain our independence, and here's a great opportunity to actually help us do that in our, even in our own homes.
0: Mm. Yeah, um, I think the older we get, the more we see the, the people around us aging, mm. and um, wishing that there was a better way to to give them that independence and feel. Safe and assured that they're going to be okay because we don't want them to hurt themselves but we also don't want them to to lose that independence.
1: Absolutely. Mm. Wonderful. Well, I'm super interested and going to be watching very closely. Looking Glass and Culture team in terms of what you're doing and your future, it sounds really exciting. Congratulations on making some pretty bold moves in your career but ultimately for really great outcomes, I think. So well done.
0: Yeah, great. Thank you very much.
1: Cheers. I love hearing stories of people who decide not straight out of school, but after they've had some life experience to completely change their career direction. And this often happens for amazing benefit for both the person as an entrepreneur, but also for society at large. And Kelly certainly has done that. Jump onto our website, www.theselfmadetheory.com or check out the show notes in your podcast app to find ways to find Kelly Looking Glass and Culture Team and find out what they're doing to help change the world. If you're an entrepreneur, a business leader or are faced with challenges in your startup, scale-up or established business that you're not sure how to solve for, then contact us to discuss how our executive coaching and consulting advisory practice can help you. You can email us on coach at theselfmadetheory.com. Until next time, keep innovating, overcoming, and prospering.